Ten Commandments. Uh, and so we are on week number eight, and we're going to be hitting the Eighth Commandment uh, and seeing how that applies to us now and how that's relevant and how Christ comforts us and brings us hope in the midst of that. Uh, but before we do that, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for this time when we can open up your word. Lord, we just pray that you bring it to life in our hearts and our minds, that we can know you through it, that we can see how we should respond, that we can see all the implications of how we've gone off track, but also see your beautiful call to look to Christ and so know that if we know him, if we have a relationship with him, we are covered and we are safe, saved, one with him. Your sons and your daughters, your beloved children, your family. Lord, we love you, we seek you, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So I have this memory. It's a, it's a distinct memory from childhood, but just like all childhood memories, some parts are very vivid and some parts are kind of fuzzy. But I have this very distinct memory of being with my family when I was young. I'm going to say five years old, and I believe we were traveling, and we stopped at this outdoor store, maybe this bike shop store. I said it's kind of fuzzy, but some things are distinct. And I remember being in there with my family, and they're looking at stuff, and I wandered up to the front, and by the cash register, there's this tub of these little rubber things. I believe you put them on the end of sunglasses to keep them from slipping off, but there was this big tub of them. And as a little kid, I picked one up and I was playing with it because it was cool and I, I was just mesmerized by it. And all of a sudden the family was leaving. And so I walked with my family outside and we got into our van and we're about to pull away. And then that's when my parents realized I had in my hand this little rubber thing. And they asked, where did that come from? And I'm like, I don't know. It appeared in my hand. But they quickly learned, oh wait, he took this from the store we were just in. And I remember feeling the unjustness of, of them forcing me to walk back into that store with this little rubber thing and going to a very apathetic clerk and saying, I took this, as he just said, okay. And I put it back into the rubber thing that each one cost 15 cents. I just remember feeling, what was the harm in me taking that? They had a whole tub. They were 15 cents each, but also just feeling like, why did my parents have to embarrass me just in something that small? But as we know, they, they probably were doing, not probably, they were doing what good parents do, instilling in their kids, you don't take what's not yours. Even if it's something that's 15 cents, even if they have a big tub of it, you don't just walk into a store and take something that is not yours. They were making very clear that stealing is wrong. But some people want to say, well, what, what was the big deal? That, that didn't harm anyone. Obviously, the clerk didn't matter. I bet even the owners of the shop wouldn't really care if one of those little rubber things went missing. What is the harm? But it's getting to the principle of the thing that how do we operate in society? How do we love people? And one of the ways we love people is we do not take what is not ours to take. And we all know this, don't we? We know this because if you've ever had someone take from you, oh, you know it. And you know how that's not right. If you ever had had a package stolen off your front porch, oh, 
you know that's not right. If you've ever had someone try to charge you more than what you, what you think you should owe, you know that's not right. And you know that people breaking into your house and stealing or taking something boldly from you is not right. We know that because we realize this is our stuff. And it's wrong and it's not loving for people because we don't feel loved when someone takes it. It's why we lock up our houses at night and lock up our cars. We, instill, we install cameras around to capture people and the actions because we know taking is not right. And so it shouldn't surprise us that when we come to the Ten Commandments, as God is laying out the law for his people about how they relate to him, but also how they relate to others, he actually has a commandment that covers this. And we see this in Exodus chapter 20. We've been going through Exodus chapter 20 as we look at all these commandments uh, this series. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Exodus uh, 20 as we see the Ten Commandments lay out there. And we'll just be on the very small commandment in verse 15 Exodus 20, 15 says simply, you shall not steal. Well, that seems really straightforward. As we've seen the last few weeks, these commandments are really straightforward. Really straightforward prohibitions. You shall not do this action. Don't do it. And they're not being around the bush. They're being very clear on what's expected. But all we see, when we have a commandment like this, yes, it has a simple prohibition, but it has implications that once you start looking at it, once you start examining it, all these other implications for life and how we treat people and how we view even our own possessions start to fall out. But this is such a simple prohibition that no one would argue with, I would, argue, I would probably say, that when people read this, you should not steal, I don't think anyone would say, yeah, I don't think that's good. Everyone would say, yeah, that is how we should operate. You don't steal from people. You don't take what is not yours. And most people, if all the uh, polls are right, most people, when they come to this commandment, think this is the one commandment where I got a good, I got a good handle on it. It doesn't, I'm not messing up here. In fact, I, I saw one poll that reported that 86% of adults believe they completely satisfy God's commands when it comes to this commandment. So if that's right, 86 of you people, 86% of you people believe, ah, I'm good on this commandment. But as we see with all those other commandments, there's probably more involved and more what haves you maybe when we come to this commandment than we first think. But we can wonder and look at this commandment and say, well, why would God care about stealing? Why would God care about personal property? Why would he be concerned with that? Well, as I've kind of mentioned before, it's not so much the personal property, but it's how we view others. That God is concerned how we view others. In the second tablet or second table of the law, these commandments are outlines of how do we love our neighbors as ourselves? How do we do that well? And involved in that is that we don't steal from them. Because just as the, the uh, sixth commandment about not killing means we don't view people as expendable, and the seventh commandment means we don't view people as consumable, that there's a right way on how we have relationships with people, I would say the eighth commandment is that we don't view people less than us. We don't degrade them. We don't view them as degradable, where we think we're more valuable, where we can take what is theirs to our benefit, to their expense. The reality is that this commandment is in place because sin has twisted our hearts, and sin makes 
us thieves. Sin makes us thinking maybe we deserve something more than something else, someone else. And so it's okay to take it for our own benefit. So let's look at this commandment. What is forbidden by this commandment? Well, it seems so straightforward. We can look up the definition of seal, which I did, which is simply to take another person's property without permission or legal right and without intent to return it, with intending to return it. So it's very clear. What's what's forbidden by this commandment is just the straightforward, don't take someone's stuff. Don't walk up and take it. Don't sneak to take it. Don't, Don't trick them to take it. Don't take what is not yours. It seems so simple, but I would say the implications in modern society probably go a little further as we start to think of what that means to take what is not ours. And actually, we can look throughout history and see how Christians applied this and how they kind of dissected it and how they looked at it. And a great place to look at that is if you read the, 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 um, the creeds or the, the catechisms of the Christian faith, and they kind of go through the Ten Commandments and kind of outline all the different implications therein. And so when people looked at this commandment, they started outlining things that this not just applies to how you relate to other people, but this is how it relates to how you do business. That your business practices are influenced by this commandment, meaning you shouldn't have shady business practices. You shouldn't be fudging books or accounts, making something to benefit yourself to at someone else's expense. Embezzlement, swindling someone uh, in business, see, uh, selling fraudulent merchandise, even maybe even enticing someone to buy something that is not good for them, people saw falling under this commandment. Is he closer home yet? Any source of frauds, anything where you are bending the rules for your own benefit at someone else's expense, and I would argue even a corporation's or business's expense falls under this commandment. And right there, I think, is an issue because people face-to-face, they go, oh, I don't take what someone else is, but when it comes to business practices or the, the faceless corporation, they start thinking that's less personal and it allows them to be okay with doing something like that. Cheating someone else out of their wages or your employee's wages. That is also covered by this commandment, Christians would say throughout history. But let's go, you can even go more intellectual. Plagiarism is covered by this commandment. The thought that when we steal someone else's ideas or thoughts and we pass them off as our own, that's covered by this command. So if you ever have a friend that you kind of told a joke that was kind of quiet and no one heard, but then they heard it and they told a joke louder and everyone laughed, they took your joke. <laughs> they stole it. That's covered by this commandment. But more serious, plagiarism, when we take ideas that are not ours and pass it off as our own, people in academics know this is wrong, that if you do this in college or if you do this in higher education, you usually get a failing grade. And usually or maybe even be, might be kicked out of your institution because you are stealing someone else's work. Well, let's go even more modern than this. Online piracy, downloading music, movies, software, and more, that's still taking what is not yours. I remember when I was in seminary and uh, a leader uh, uh, in ministry that I was, I was doing, he gave me some Bible software that was uh, on a, a disc that was very clearly burned from his. And he's like, hey, this Bible software will help you greatly in your studies. And I click it, and I said, cool. And I put it on my computer, 
And I was about to boot it up, and I started thinking, wait a minute, this is probably not right. <laughs> that this software wasn't, I didn't purchase it. And he didn't purchase some unlimited license to give this to everyone he wanted. That I was in the process of stealing this software because he gave this to me. But then when I think about it, I was, I, I was good then, but how often did I mess up? Don't look at my computer in college because I don't know how much music I just downloaded because that was the thing. That was right when it was happening. That was the thing to do in college, right? You downloaded everything. It was free. It was fantastic. And how many of us wouldn't take a CD that we just bought at a concert and then burn 12 copies to give to friends, but how easily, when it's less personal, do, would we have uploaded our music so thousands of others could download it, or vice versa? We download music that people uploaded. It's all covered in this commandment. Well, let's get even more personal. In the day of streaming online entertainment, password sharing is stealing. I actually just heard an ad on the radio where a lady's talking about what's the most famous or the biggest five services in entertainment streaming services, and she lists them off, and she says, well, who has all of those accounts? I know my friends, we have this one or that one, and we just share. And I'm thinking, she just admitted on the radio they're involved in theft. That when you look at the statistics, these streaming entertainment services list that they lose roughly $25 billion a year through people sharing their password. And it's so common. And it's so easy to do. Why? Because it's faceless. What's the harm? They don't know. No one knows. It benefits people. Netflix has plenty of money. We don't care. But in all these examples, and we probably could go on, about what's contained in this command. In all these examples, the point is not to hammer any one particular person or any particular act saying, be condemned or feel the shame of that. No, that's not the point. But the point is to show maybe, just maybe, when we look at this commandment and we think maybe we're okay, this is showing us we don't got it all taken care of. We're not in the clear. That applies to all of us because we do take what's not ours, or we do look out for our own interests, or we do, or because we're twisted by sin, become thieves and want something for our good at the expense of someone else's. Because sin makes us thieves. This commandment is pointing out to an issue that's just not about our actions, but it goes to our hearts of who we are. It's shedding light. It serves as God's spotlight upon our heart and showing us that our heart has been twisted. Our heart is twisted to seek our own good at the expense of others. That we now are not going to be loving our neighbors like we're called to, but we're going to be loving ourselves and putting our neighbors down or using our neighbors to love ourselves better. And at the same time, showing us that we start to look at material possessions, good, goods that we can grab, rather than looking at the one we should be looking at for hope, for security, for joy and contentment. 
And these two things, they kind of go in parallel how sin has twisted our heart, that has twisted our love away from God and to other things that we, we can own and possess, and has twisted our heart away from seeking the good of others and seeking only our good. And to that, God brings the gospel and applies it to us so that we can see that we need to be redeemed, we need to be changed and transformed, that our heart needs to change. Our heart needs to change so much that we start to love others like we're called to. And our heart needs to change, and so we start looking for, to other things and start looking back to God. I love how Kevin DeYoung puts it, talking about one of those ways, that the Bible warns us against thinking that life consists of one's possessions. Because when we, caught up, when we get caught up in our heart going different ways, what we're saying is we think we can take because we take because we think in that thing we're taking, somehow it makes our life better. Somehow it gives us what we're looking for. We have a tendency to look into the stuff for our joy and fulfillment for what God has called us to look to only to him in. And Jesus spoke about this. Spoke about the matter of the heart. So let's look at how Jesus spoke about primarily not only just the loving your neighbor, but also how what we look to for our fulfillment. And we can turn to Mark chapter 10. And as we turn to Mark chapter 10, we see a count, starting in verse 17, that maybe we're familiar with. It's the account of the rich young ruler, the rich man that comes to Jesus. And so starting in verse 17, he says this, And as he was sitting, setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now we can read this same, the same account of this rich man coming to Jesus. We can read it in Matthew, you can read it in Luke, or you can read it in Mark, and I po chose Mark for one thing, because Mark ma makes one comment that the other ones don't. That when Jesus looked at this rich man, he loved him. That what he's about to say doesn't come from a place of follow the rules, get yourself right. No, he's pointing out where his heart has gone astray. He looked at this young man who found value in his possessions, who really thought, I have not broken any of these commandments, but yet he was hoarding in his heart all these treasures and loved them. God, Jesus looked at him and said, with love, go sell what you own because it's taking away from you looking to God. That your heart has been captivated by these things. The only thing you're lacking is to look correctly to a right person to find fulfillment. And that, Jesus said, as he called this man to follow him, is in me. Now what this commandment does and what Jesus is doing is showing how greed can poison our hearts and cause us to look to other things besides God, to devalue our fellow humans and use them to get what we want. And he's calling him back to say, no, look to me. 
And he's doing it out of a place of love. But if we want to even get more explicit how Jesus applies this and makes it a heart matter, we just go to Matthew. Matthew chapter uh, 6. Matthew chapter 6, six, starting in verse 19, what does Jesus say? He says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where rust and moth destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That Jesus again, once again, point out that humans have a heart problem. The sin has twisted their hearts, and now we, we, we're, uh, we, we put treasure, we value treasure so much that it starts guiding our hearts, and that where our treasure is, there our heart will be. And so Jesus is urging again that we don't look to our things, possessions for guiding our hearts. We look to him rather than these things. Again, he's pointing out this heart problem that this commandment points out, that we value our possessions to the extent that we look to them for meaning, fulfillment, and to guide our very hearts on what we want. So even if you say, well, I don't struggle with stealing, I don't struggle with taking what's not mine, these passages start making us think that we all struggle with this heart problem where we either devalue other people, we start looking to other possessions rather than to God himself for our fulfillment, for our completion, for our joy, because Sin makes us thieves. We take what is not ours. That's where we all stand. So what is our hope? Our hope is not to follow these more correctly or get ourselves right and follow this commandment to the T because we can't. Jesus is showing we can't. We can't operate that because our heart is faulty. And so we need a new heart. And so what our hope is, is that we go to Christ who gives us a new heart. Our hope is in Christ, we, that we believe that when we come to believe in who Jesus is, when we submit our lives to him, that he actually changes us. He transforms us from the inside out. He gives us a new heart that longs for him, that looks to him more than anything else. And so our hope is in him and him alone. It's not to change our actions. Those actions change after he changes us. So our hope is to look to Christ. And I love the fact that the Bible makes it so clear that we can look to him. And without doing anything but looking to him, have hope. When you read the accounts of Jesus and Jesus being crucified, he is led to the cross and he's crucified between two other men. And how are they described? As thieves, criminals. That Jesus was crucified along with these thieves. And as we read the account in Luke, it's this beautiful story where we see Jesus being crucified and these two men who deserve to be there, who defied the law, who stole from people, who were criminals, who were caught and now had been tried and now they were being executed. And so one starts railing at Jesus. He says, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other thief, rebuked that one. And he says, we deserve to be here, but this man has done nothing wrong. And in verses 42 and 43 says, and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. 
Right there is our hope. Our hope is not to follow this commandment, to not steal, because we mess up. We just, we just showed how we all slip. We all fell. We mess up on this. We take what is not ours, but our hope is just like that thief on the cross, having no power in himself to do anything else, he could look to Jesus and said, remember me. And that is our hope. As we are weak, as we fell, we look to Christ and we say, remember me. And we hear the greatest words in response. You will be with me in paradise because you trusted in me. This is where our hope is. This is where the commandment actually pushes our hope to be because the commandment shows us in a simple, simple way we cannot live up to God's standard that it's not in our strength that we come to God, but it is our weakness as we realize we can't do it and we need a Savior. And he has given us that Savior in Jesus Christ. That we look to him and we are ushered into paradise. Sin makes us thieves. Christ remakes us into givers. Because that's what happens here, is our hope is not into doing more, but now once we are changed, once, Christ, once we have looked to Christ and he has changed our hearts, we now change and we start operating in a different way that we start not taking, but we start giving. We don't take what's not ours, but we give what is ours back to people or to people who need it or to, or to God's work. And so Christ changed us and he makes us who we're supposed to be in Christ. Sin makes us thieves, Christ remakes us givers. As we walk in this newness of life, as sin has twisted our heart, Christ, through the gospel, through his grace, starts to remake it, reshape it back to what it is supposed to be, how we're supposed to live in him. And he starts changing us fundamentally from the inside out. He starts changing us how we're supposed to live differently because of who he is. So he addresses that, that way and sin has twisted us and made us not look for the interests of others, but for our own interests or how we, we want to use people for our own benefit. And so now Christ comes and he starts to reshape us and say, no, instead of taking, we give. Instead of looking for that, we start looking at people and loving them. That you, we use, use the law as a guide, as a model for how we can love our neighbors as ourselves. And we see this in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10. And we see this great call, this great statement by Paul when he's looking at what the law is. He says, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you should not commit adultery, you should not murder, you should not steal, you should not covet, and any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does not wrong a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. That the positive way in which we now walk in the newness of life that Christ has given us is to love our neighbors. And if you ever question, well, how do I love my neighbors? Paul is saying that the law is giving you there to show you how to do it. You don't kill them. You don't steal from them. 
You don't violate the marriage covenant. You don't uh, covet what is not yours. You don't do these things that have been laid down. That's how we start loving our neighbor. And we don't do that from our own power or from our own uh, ability because we are now new in Christ and we live out this law where we do it from his power and what he has given us and from the encouragement of his word and from his spirit working mightily in us that we start living for him and all these things. We, it changes how we see people. We start loving them as we've been called to love them. But it also does something else. We don't just love people, but actually reframes ourselves on how we even see work and how we see life. And we see this in Ephesians 4, chapter 28. One small little verse that gives you the positive element of what this commandment entails. It says, let the thief no longer steal. <clears throat> but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. I love that passage because it shows that all of us who have gone astray, now how do we live in that new light? We don't take what's not ours. but we Now we work. And why do we work? So that we can be generous with those in need. Why do we work? So that we can live with an open hand, that when people are in need, when people need something, when the ministry needs something, we can have an open hand and we can see, there we go, we become givers. This is a transformation right here that we go from thieves who take for our own benefit to givers who want to benefit others, who want to grow others up, who want to do what God has called us to do. And this is what the gospel does to us. It transforms us. It takes us, our minds off of ourselves and onto others and others' goods. And while sin makes us thief, Christ remakes us givers. He remakes us into people who look to him first and find our value, our, our worth and our value and our hope in him, which frees us up to be open-handed with everything else we have. And so we become givers who give to people. But I think the main, when we read this commandment, you should not steal, is a heart check. And we respond in kind. We love people. We become generous. We do what God has called us to do out of this new life we have in Christ. But when you read this commandment, it becomes a heart check of what are we truly looking to. Because this commandment points that light. We don't take what is not ours. And so it's pointing that light that when we do that, we're looking to this thing for happiness. And it's urging us, what are we truly looking to? And I love how Matthew in the passage we just read earlier about don't lay up treasures on earth but in heaven, he highlights a little bit more on this fact of what we look to guides us through life. In verse 22 it says, The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, uh, if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Basically saying what we fill our eye with, what we look at, what we're looking to is going to determine what's inside of. And he says, no one can serve two masters for either one will hate the other and, and either hate the one and love the other or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And Matthew and Jesus here in the book of Matthew is pointing us to what are we looking to as a heart check? What are you looking to for life? 
Because what you look to directs and guides you in all of life. It is what steers you. It goes, it directs you there or here. I remember when I learned to ride a motorcycle in high school, we went and took a safety class because we're that kind of nerd when you learn how to ride a motorcycle, right? You're a rebel, but you want to be safe. So you take a safety class and they teach you, you go where you look. When you're on the motorcycle, where you look is where you go. Because if you're riding down the street and you see a squirrel and look at it, chances are you're going to start staring towards that squirrel and off the road. You go where you look. And I don't think there's, and, and that's a biblical principle that Jesus gives us in Matthew, that we now go where we look. And so this commandment that shows us do not steal is more than just about what we take, but it's actually showing us where are we looking. It's a heart check. Where are we looking for life? Where are we looking for fulfillment? Where are we looking for joy? Where are we looking for a purpose and meaning in life? Where do you look? And so when we read this commandment, it's a call to all of us to do a heart check. Where are we looking? Are you looking at your bank account for meaning? Are you looking at your job? Are you looking at some other person? Are you looking at joy or these hobbies that you do? Where do you look for fulfillment? Where do you look for meaning? Where do you look for purpose? Where do you look for what life is about? As we see in the gospel again and again, it's that simple Express invitation. Christ says, look to me. That we look to him and know what is true. We look to him and know we are saved. We look to him and we know we are loved. So where do you look? Join me in prayer. Dear Father, thank you so much for your word, that we can stand on it, we can grow because of it, that we can be who you have called us to be. Lord, I just pray that we can be moved by this, to look at you, to look to you, to know you, to follow you, to know and experience your love, and to respond to what you have done for us, through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Lord, I just pray for everyone here everyone who's listening to us, that we can look to you for everything, everything we need, everything we want, that we can keep our eyes fixed on you. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.